Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Farm living is the life for me. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, and already the fourth Saturday of October. Or Saturday means we have Farmer Greg, and he's got a great lineup today on a new topic that we haven't really talked about, a lot of crossover in urban farming. We'll talk a lot about soils and plants, but a particular style of planting. Farmer Greg joining us uh, via Zoom. Good morning, sir. Welcome. Hello, hello. Thanks for continuing to have me and give our urban farming movement a voice. This is very exciting for me. Well, and it's an exciting topic for us. We love it. Uh, we try and live it uh, at our house the best we can. Mm-hmm. As, and uh, you've also got a great guest with you returning. Yeah, I'm very excited. I always love having Kari on the on the show. Kari Spencer from the Microfarm Project in Phoenix. She's an author of a couple of great books. And I hear a rumor she's got a third one coming out. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a little late coming, but it's coming. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. And we are going to talk about Kari Spencer's key strategies for growing food in containers. So <laughs> Glad, glad to be just, here, Greg. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for being here. And um, so why would we want to grow food in containers? Well, there's a lot of reasons to grow food in containers. Some people just don't have space to plant in the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, as we urban dwellers you know many of us don't have a big place to put a garden but even if you have a garden which I do I still grow in containers because there's always one more plant I want to (laughs) grow right there's always one more right and and they also add just you know they add beauty to the patio or inside the house even Mm -hmm. they can be a form of saving money on your initial infrastructure because when you put something in the ground you get four-legged creatures, cats, dogs, rabbits. I mean, everything comes and deer. think, deer, say, say, hey, wait, look at all this great soil you turned up for me. Let me just roll in it and dig it and tear it up for you. And then <laughs> you finally get plants going, and they think, oh, great, you got something for me to come eat and munch on. And container gardens can help you get started quicker by getting it up off the ground where the, the four-legged animals can't reach it. And you don't have to dig. Great and you can move them around. They're mobile. So... You know, maybe you're maybe you have a lease somewhere and you think you're gonna not be there forever. You take your plants with you. That's what we actually did coming to North Carolina. We actually packed up plants and brought them with us. Yeah. And they're they're surviving. They are. They are, absolutely. And um a big reason to do it, and we're gonna talk about soil in a little while, but a big reason to do it is to jumpstart your soil, because if you're just planting in dirt. Good luck. And I have a story about that here in a little while. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Soil directly from your backyard also is not necessarily a good idea for your containers. So right. well, actually, while we're while we're talking about soil, let's just go ahead and jump there. Um, never use dirt straight from your yard. Why is that? Well, because containers need a little extra drainage. Mm-hmm in clay soils. So if you have a heavy clay soil and you put that in your pot, it's just going to turn to cement, right? It'd be like packing your pot with Play-Doh. So that's not a good idea. (laughs) And and if you have a real sandy soil, it's going to need something to help hold the moisture in, right? Because in the landscape, some things have a chance to balance out, but in the Mm -hmm. pot, 
it's all dependent on you and how you how you set up that soil. So it's it's always this balance between holding moisture and having enough drainage that uh, the roots don't stay in in uh, a soggy situation all the time. Mm -hmm. So do I just do I take some of the dirt out of the, my backyard and add something to it and put it in the pot, or do I just use a bagged product, soil product? You can do it either way. So some people like to just go get a potting soil mm -hmm. because uh, it's all ready made. <laughs> you just open the bag and it's ready to go. You don't want a topsoil or a garden soil bag product. Make sure it's a potting soil or it says for container gardens. Um, and some people like to take some of their own compost mm -hmm. and add some amendments to it and make their own potting soil. So either way works. I don't generally like to use just dirt out of the backyard, but I will use my own compost. Yeah. Yeah. And a great way to get started, just get that bagged product, get your container, and then once you have leftovers from your produce or your, whatever you've grown, compost that, and then supplement that back into the soil. You know, we're, yeah. if you want to get started today. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm going to do a shout out to Arizona Worm Farm. They have a nice raised bed potting mix there. And uh, tell them you heard it on Rosie on the House. And they had, if you missed it, uh, we had them on earlier this summer. You can find it in our podcast, a great hour with them talking about yeah. everything, how smart the animal with no brain is. <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah, and um, Zach, what Zach's doing over at Arizona Worm Farm, you guys have heard me say this before, is amazing. He's uh, he's doing my dream project. So, and they are open on Worm Farm. I think they're open on Saturdays, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah they are. Yeah, down down near South Mountain. Kari, what are we going to use in the planting mix if we want to make our own? Okay, well you you started talking about the Worm Farm, so worm castings are really mm -hmm. great for for a container garden because the the soil in a in a pot can deplete of nutrients quickly. And Why is worm that? castings, well, because there's there's no way for once the plants use the nutrients to for them to get any more from the natural environment. Plus, right? so when you it, water them, it washes the nutrients out, right? Absolutely. When you're watering it, it can drain right out of the bottom and you're flushing some of those away all the time. So worm castings are great. Um, you will also want to have something, like I mentioned, for drainage. Okay, so that could be. Uh, product like pumice, pumice stone, mm -hmm. crushed, or perlite, which looks like little styrofoam balls, <laughs> you know, but it's not. It's actually a mineral that you can put in to your uh, mix. And that mm -hmm. those two will help keep the soil from compacting down really hard, keep it looser, and help with drainage so that excess moisture has somewhere to go. And what about... Oh, go ahead. And then the third thing, so you've got your compost or soil, you've got your product for drainage, and now you need something to help hold moisture, which sounds <laughs> contradictory, uh -huh. but it's not. You want something in there that will absorb some excess moisture and hold on to it, but then release it back to the plant when the plant needs it. And a lot of people will use uh, peat moss. Um, I prefer cocoa coir. Mm -hmm. And that holds holds water. Uh, you could also use vermiculite, 
which is a mineral that is superheated until it basically turns <laughs> into a real lightweight moisture holding product. Kind of like pumice. It is kind of like pumice, yeah. Mm -hmm. A little bit smaller granules usually. Um, so either of those products would work. And there, there are other products out there that you, know, you could explore and Google and find. Um, but uh, Cocoa Coir is really my favorite one. And it's easy to get. It's very easy to get. It's inexpensive. It's good for the environment. It uses a product that would just be thrown away. There is coconut husks. Mm -hmm. And it I, it works every bit as well, I think, as peat moss, which mm -hmm. is not such a sustainable product. So you guys are the first ones I've ever heard mention cocoa choir. Is that choir core? or core? People call it core. And you um, said it's it, amply available, but I don't see a lot of coconuts in Arizona. I mean, where where, 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 where do I go <laughs> no, find no. this? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I have my special can, stash in the backyard. <laughs> you can order it from, you know, you, any hydroponic you can, store. Okay. Yeah, you can get it from a hydroponic store. Nurseries are carrying it now. You can order it online. It is readily, readily available. It oftentimes will come in in hard bricks, uh, and you kind of chip them apart, or you get them wet, and they, the co the the core expands. Right, so, um, and then once yeah. it's expanded, you just mix that in with your soil, and that helps create the drainage and and air in this in the soil that the plants need. It, it, yeah, it helps with that, but it also absorbs water, and then it 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 holds on to it, but not so tightly that it doesn't release to the plant. Yeah. So, so it's it's really helpful uh, uh, for a number of reasons and a little bit can go a long way. You've got this little brick and it turns into a bucket full, you know, when you get it wet. So, so you, can, I, you can make your own soil, which are those components, or you can go buy some planting mix soil. Yep. And if you're going to make it, I recommend that you use one third soil or compost, one third pumice, perlite, something for drainage, and one third uh, cocoa core or vermiculite for the uh, moisture holding properties. So it's cool. easy to remember, <laughs> just, just split it into thirds. Yeah. Now, if you live in a really dry climate, you might need a little bit more of the moisture holding product. Now, if you live in a really wet climate and your pots are gonna get wet a lot, maybe you wanna add a little extra of the drainage products. Cool. And you got a, a point here about hydration how wet should the soil be before i start to plant about as moist as a wrung out sponge and it takes a while for for core i keep calling it core <laughs> but most people call it core uh to get really wet right so you put the water on and it looks like you've got way too much water and you leave it overnight and you come back and there's still dry spots in it, right? So you have to just keep mixing the water in. I like to mix my product first and then start wetting it because it gets, the, the wetter it gets, the heavier it gets, the harder right. it is to mix, right? So get it really mixed up. Sort of like when you're baking, you mix all the dry products first and then you add the wet products. You, you know, it really helps to get everything incorporated, but then you just have to keep adding water until until it completely saturates enough that 
all of it is about as moist as a wrung out sponge. One seed, two hands, dig a hole, start to plant, watch it grow. Welcome back to the Urban Farm Hour. We have Farmer Greg joining us on the line with his guest, Kari Spencer, the Microfarm Project. We spent the first segment talking about soil prep. Let's talk this segment, what container to put that into, because there are a few key components to container gardening as it relates to the container to make it a, a successful harvest. Well, one of the big things we want to be cognizant about is what's in the container, right, Kari? Like what's the container mm. made out of? Because I've oh, seen people yeah. doing tires before. And do you really want to <laughs> grow something in an old tire that's got chemicals in it? So it depends. If that's all you have, maybe, but may or maybe just grow ornamentals in a yeah. tire or in a gas can. I saw that on Pinterest. It's really cute. Oh, yeah. uh, but if you're if you're growing edible things, then maybe you want to put it in a non-toxic container. Is there anything you could put inside the tire to line it that then you could then put your soil in? And because I mean, if it's the tire on its side, it's got the drainage. <laughs> yeah, it, I think you, you maybe could line it. I think a tire would be challenging to line though. Other types yeah. of containers though would be easier. You could put a pot inside the container. I saw somebody had an old cooler that they, you know, oh, like a, an old metal cooler that they had put a pot inside it mm. and used it as a, as, as a plant pot. Yeah. There you one go. other, one other caveat that I've seen a lot on Instagram and other around the internet is using an old pallet. Yeah. And pallets can contain flame retardant material or pesticides. Yes. Yeah, but the ones that that say made in America, <laughs> if they say that, they're, they're they don't have all that stuff. It's not it's not oh, allowed okay. anymore. But you got to do your own research on that. So. Which it, it is a great look. I've I've seen those pallet gardens before. It, it's a very great look, and it's if it doesn't have the pesticides or the fire retardant in the wood as well, as it breaks down, it'll just turn into compost, and you add more pallets. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So then what kind of containers do we want to look for and use? Well, uh, given that it's non-toxic, pretty much anything can be a plant container. Uh, it just needs to be big enough for the plant. Mm-hmm. So you got to think about the mature size of the plant and the pot should balance that because the roots need to get as big as the visible part of the plant. So you got to give it a pot to match. Uh, okay. Good to know. Uh, so uh, succul- succulent could go in a little teacup, but a tomato <laughs> needs, you know, a five-gallon bucket maybe. So you got to think well, about gonna, that. So I'm going to actually hold on, to, hold that one, because I used a five-gallon bucket for some tomatoes uh, when I got here to North Carolina, and they weren't big enough. Yeah, some indeterminate tomatoes, particularly yeah. the ones that just grow and grow and grow. Yeah, it might not be big enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So think about the mature size of the plant and get a pot to match. You want to make sure that it has drainage, a drainage hole. For some reason, I don't know why they sell plant pots with no drainage hole in the bottom. <laughs> right. <laughs> it Plants really need that drainage because otherwise excess water just goes to the bottom and pools. And, you know, what happens to water when it just sits around, especially if it has 
bacteria in it. It just gets mucky, right? So yeah. you don't want that in your plants. And Remember so about 15 years ago when I uh, used the metal trash cans on the back patio at the urban farm? Yes. Um, I didn't initially drill them because I wanted to see what would happen if I just, you know, watered them fairly regularly. It took about two weeks for them to fill up with water. Yeah. And, yeah, so, and then they start to smell. <laughs> it's just yeah. bad. How much of that trash can wouldn't you have needed to do drainage? Would you have cut the entire bottom off or just drilled a couple holes? I drilled a couple holes. Okay. Don't need a lot, but just some place for it to wick out. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, a little, just a little pinprick won't do it. Maybe a half-inch hole. Half-inch hole, yeah. Yeah, That's what I did. Now, this is kind of running through my mind back to our conversation with uh, the the worm farm a couple months Mm -hmm. ago. He was talking about how he feeds his worms. He takes the cardboard boxes from, you know, food packaging or Amazon boxes, whatever. If you were kind of a hybrid scenario here, could you just take Amazon back boxes, fill your garden soil in that, set it out there and put your plants in there? And as that degrades and you just keep adding year over year and just gradually build up your garden area out there, just using cardboard boxes? Cardboard? Yeah. I suppose so. I hadn't thought of that, but I mean, sure. You couldn't take it with you like you'd said at the beginning, but if you were going to do it super cheap and you were going to have a spot in your yard that you're designating for designating for your garden and then instead mm-hmm. of having to go through all the trouble of tilling and working that soil up, like Farmer Greg says, the, the lazy farmer and <laughs> the lazy gardener, just put it in a cardboard box, set it out there and, you know, just know that at the end of that harvest, you're going to be put in a different box and just let that old one just you know, naturally bio-disintegrate into the, in, into the topsoil. Well, we use, we use cardboard all the time as a layer on the bottom of garden beds. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Not going to keep out Bermuda grass, but it will definitely knock down all the other weeds. So, does anything keep out Bermuda grass? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, put it in a pot and don't let the grass get close. There you go. <laughs> All right, we've got Farmer Greg joining us on Zoom along with Kari Spencer of the Microfarm Project. Uh, Stay tuned. We've got bottom of the hour news. We can do a lot, but we can't stop the clock. We're going to get back and continue our conversation on having a successful container garden. Welcome back to Rosie on the House here at the fourth Saturday of the month, Urban Farming Hour. We've got Farmer Greg and Kari Spencer, the Micro Farm Project. We've spent the first couple segments getting our soil prepared, our, the, our pots selected. Uh, let's get to planting. That's the fun part. That it is. <laughs> and the, the biggest thing you need to know, I think, about what to plant when is making sure that you're planting for the right season. Um, I know that you can go into a lot of nurseries and all the big box stores any time of year and they're going to sell you a tree or a plant that's not not appropriate for the season. So how do we address that, Kari? Well, you want to get a planting calendar for your area, you know, because that will tell you exactly when, you know, give you a great idea at least of when you should 
plant certain plants. And I know you have one on your website for, for Phoenix. Yeah, yep. planting calendar plantingcalendar.org. Yeah, but if you live outside of the valley, you know, maybe you live up in Flagstaff, you know, wherever you are, uh, you'll want to make sure that you get a calendar for your area. And if you look up the master gardeners for uh, your county, they will likely have one that you can download. Yeah, that's the easiest thing to do is type in the name of your the biggest city close to you and planting calendar and see what comes up. Mm -hmm. You might find a couple of them. And yeah. yeah, so they're a good resource. And plant starts versus seeds? Oh, you can do it either way. If you want an instant garden, go get some plant starts and plant them in your pots. It gives mm -hmm. you a little bit of a head start and yeah, it looks looks nicer, faster if you're going for an aesthetic. Uh, but seeds are cheaper and there's a lot more variety for seeds. So uh, I really like to, to go with seeds for mm -hmm. those two reasons. Yeah. But either way is fine. How do we make sure that we... Or, or a combination of both. Get a couple starters to get going. And that way you have, you know, something to show for relatively soon. And then, you know, your seeds will generally come along later. Yeah, that's true. And that really works, especially for fast growing things like, um, like lettuces. You know, you plant some lettuce and you plant some seeds right alongside them. And when you harvest the lettuce, there's more lettuce coming up right behind it. And when we're looking at a nursery for a healthy plant, what are we looking for? Well, for the first thing is to make sure it's in season, like you mentioned with the planting mm -hmm. calendar. And then the second thing that I look for is to make sure that it's not root bound, which means the plant has been in the transplant pot too long and the roots start circling around and around inside the pot. Mm -hmm. And if you take one of those home and you plant it out, the likelihood is that it won't thrive, may not survive because the roots have some sort of memory and they're really hard to get them to grow out of that circling pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, I will often put my fingers around the stem of the plant, very carefully flip the pot upside down and pull it out just a little bit to see what the roots look like. And if they're circling around like that, I might pass on that plant. Um, and if there's no root at all, then you might want to take it home and leave it in the transplant pot for a little bit until you can actually see some root because that'll hold the soil together when you repot it. Mm -hmm. Cool. And um, why do we want to choose locally grown plants? because they are the most likely to thrive, <laughs> you know, they, especially in a climate like ours in Phoenix. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A plant that is shipped in from California or somewhere else, it gets here and they baby it at the nursery and then you take it out in your yard and stick it out in the sun and it feels like it's been transplanted on the surface of the sun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, But a plant that was... Um, propagated right here in our region is mm -hmm. is more adapted, more easily adapted to the climate and more likely to thrive. Cool, and, and you mentioned the, the process of taking it from the nursery where it's likely been in a greenhouse to uh, your yard and putting it outside. It's, there's a name for that. 
Can you tell us what that is and they, yeah. how it works? They call that hardening off, <laughs> which sounds like a weird thing for plants, you know, to harden them. But what you're doing is you're gradually acclimating it from mm -hmm. the nursery environment to your yard. Even if it was propagated here locally, you want to do a little bit of that. So of just helping it to adapt. So what I do is I like to put my plants out in the area where I want to plant them for a little bit, like maybe an hour or two, see how they do. If they start wilting, bring them into a little more shelter and then do that again, maybe the next day and see if I can get them to thrive there. If they don't after a few days, then maybe I need to <laughs> think of a different spot to put them. And mm -hmm. so it gives you a chance both to let your plants adapt and also to just see if it's going to thrive there at all. By putting it out in the elements where it's subjected to the, the wind and the sun helps to thicken the leaves of the plant and make it a little bit tougher. That's why we call it hardening off. And it will help them to adjust before you plant them out where they're going to be permanently. All right. So did you have a question, Romy? No, I was just kind of... Like you said, enjoying what I was learning, hardening off. I'd never heard of that term before. Right. So we've selected a container. Now, those containers can be pots. Um, I recently put in a raised bed garden here. Um, so it, they can be in many different sizes. What do you put in the bottom of the pot? Um, I seem to remember from our previous classes where you're not a fan of putting rocks in the bottom. I'm not a fan because two things, if you take rocks out of your yard, you don't know if maybe there's a fungus or something that's mm. in the soil there that you're putting right in your pot. And you can't see it, so you don't know if it's there. Mm. And secondly, the soil just compacts down into those rocks as you're watering it. So after a while, they're not doing anything for you at all, right? So there, you know, all the soil just goes down into any air spaces that are there. So what I like to do is just put a coffee filter or a bit of window screen over the bottom of the, uh, over the hole in the mm -hmm. bottom of the pot. That keeps the soil from going out. Maybe keeps bugs from, you know, ants or little uh, pill bugs, potato bugs from going into the pot. Mm -hmm. But it also allows for drainage. Awesome. So that's what I like to do. One of the things that I've started experimenting with, because I've told people for years, if you're putting in a raised bed garden and it's two feet tall, put in eight, 10 inches of woody mulch on the bottom. The whole concept of hugel culture, the, the woody mulch breaking down and bringing the mycorrhiza and the fungus in. Um, so I've started playing with that. Do you have any thoughts on woody mulch in the bottom of pots? I suppose that you could do that. Um, I don't think that there would be any harm in mm -hmm. doing that, but it's not going to necessarily improve the drainage. It, it has other benefits though, like mm -hmm. you said, it's bringing in that mycorrhiza and which is, you know, healthy fungus, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think there's any problem with that. And in a raised bed garden, for sure, that's, that's a great idea. The cardboard, the woody mulch, they all help to just bring a, a raised bed to life because a raised bed is kind of a hybrid between a container and an in-ground bed, right? Yeah. It's, it's a little bit different from putting something in just into a pot. You know, one of the things that's really important that we haven't touched on 
And I actually ran into this problem here in North Carolina was that the pots got too hot in the summertime. That's definitely a problem in Phoenix. How do you address that? Well, you can either um, do it by selecting the right kind of pot for where you want to put it. You mm -hmm. know, a, a metal pot in the sun is gonna mm -hmm. fry your mm -hmm. plants. Uh, but also if you get a larger container, there's more thermal mass. So the roots that are in, inside that big container will be less subjected to temperature extremes. Okay, it won't get as hot or as cool in the middle of the pot. Uh, you can also double pot so that there's a little mm. bit of air space between the smaller pot and the larger pot. And that helps to protect against um, temperature extremes so that the roots that are growing when they reach the edges, they're not going to get burned because mm -hmm. they have a little bit of protection. Okay, so those are two things that I like to do. And also, you know, you can just bring them into more shade gradually <laughs> if you're there. As it gets hotter outside, yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right, great. So we've talked about containers. We've talked about soil. Um, it's time to get things planted. What are our next steps? Well, if you're planting transplants, you've, you're going to fill that container with soil to within about an inch of the top of the container. And then you want to make a, a depression, a hole in the soil that is... Um, just as deep as the root ball mm -hmm. and a little bit wider so that you can easily set the transplant right down into that hole without having to work it in or shove it into the hole, right? You want to just be able to set it in there. You want the top of that root ball to be level with the surrounding soil. And then you'll backfill that hole with some soil to fill in the air spaces. And um, so that's what you would want to do with the transplant. Now you, said, you said something really important here that I want to call out because I know that when our citrus trees come in, they come in pots and sometimes they fill up the soil all the way to the top edge of the pot. It makes them a lot harder to water. So if you leave three quarters of an inch to an inch between the top of the soil and the top of the pot, you can go by with a water wand and put an inch worth of water in there and move on to the next one. You don't have to wait. Yes, you certainly can. And you could even put something on top of the soil like a mulch. They make mm. a small bark mulch that you can put on top of your pots. That mm. helps to, it helps the, uh, it helps the water to actually soak in instead mm -hmm. of evaporating off or, or even just um, running off down the sides of your pot. Right. <laughs> so sometimes it'll run off down the inside of the pot. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So and not put soak some, into the soil. Right. So if you put something on the top, if you're growing little cacti or succulents, you could use little stones for that. It mm -hmm. just helps to keep the water from moving so fast that it just rolls to the edge of the pot and goes down the, you know, and goes out the hole in the bottom right away. And so we're going to be talking about watering next, but before we actually talk about the watering part, there's something called hydrophobic, and we kind of touched on it earlier. Um, soil in a pot can get to where it, it avoids the water. It doesn't take it in. Mm -hmm. How do we avoid that, and um, 
how do we fix it if we get a plant that's hydrophobic, the soil that's hydrophobic? And I'm going to let you think about that for four minutes because we can do a lot, but we can't stop the clock. We're going to take a quick break and get back and talk about what it means to be hydrophoric? Hydro, hydrophobic. Phobic, hydrophobic. Well, thank you for sticking with us. And I know everybody out there has just been on their seat for the last four minutes wanting to know what it means to be hydrophobic. <laughs> well, hydrophobia is not fear of water necessarily. It's that the, the products that are in the soil don't want to absorb water initially. They resist it, right? And it takes a little while for them to actually start to absorb. It's like if you take a really dry, hard sponge and you put it under the water, initially the water runs off, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you kind of have to squeeze that water into the sponge to get it to absorb. It's the same way with soil. If the soil completely dries out, then it's going to be difficult to re-wet. So when we water, we don't want to keep the soil completely soggy, dripping wet, but, but we want to let it dr uh, dry out mostly, but not all the way between watering. So there, there needs to be a little bit of moisture in the soil uh, at all times. Otherwise, to get it to re-wet, you're going to have to water extra, maybe even soak the pot in a pan of water to get it to reabsorb up through the, the um, drainage hole. And it takes a little bit of extra effort <laughs> to do that. So, you know, just keep it slightly damp at all times. I've had that problem before. It's not fun to play with. Well, that can be your tailgate trick this afternoon, Hyd hydrophobic. <laughs> Ah, there, on, you on, there you go. Teach everyone what the the sponge that doesn't absorb water is hydrophobic. Let's let's talk real quick watering strategy. And I know we got. I, I don't want to get out of this segment without talking about the Great American Seed Up because uh, you had mentioned the variety of what's available to plant so much more in seeds, and we've got a great event coming up for that soon. We can talk watering real fast because it's not that hard to water a container plant. All you want to do is when the top few inches of soil are feeling pretty dry, you can just stick your finger down in there. Just water enough that water runs out of the bottom of the pot. And I like to elevate my pots on some rocks. We don't put rocks in the pot, but I put some under so that when water drains out, it can drain off and, and break contact with the, with the pot. Um, and if you do that every time, you're... You're going, to make, you're going to make sure that salts and minerals in hard water don't build up in the pot. And you're going to make sure that the roots that are down in the bottom get wet just as much as the top. And it will stay wetter longer that way because the, the water is held more throughout the entire pot. And I also like to put just a little bit of fertilizer in my water when I water because every time you water and it's draining through the pot, then you're flushing nutrients away. So I just, you know, maybe put half strength or quarter strength of my whatever fertilizer I like to use and just do that every time I water them. And what type of go. fertilizer do you like to use? I'm assuming this is a liquid that you're putting into a pot, pot flower water, and then you're then taking it. And, and Or is it something, yeah. one of those you can get at the garden center where it attaches to the end of your hose. And as you spray the water, it siphons out some fertilizer. Well, you can do that. I prefer to use an organic natural fertilizer if I, you know, if I can, and they're readily available now. 
at the at nurseries. Um, and they make them in liquids, or you could do a granular and just dig the granular into the, the top few inches of the soil in your pot. Either way is fine. Kari Spencer, the Microform Project. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us and helping everybody get lined out on how to uh, get your container garden. We're going to switch real quick and wrap up with uh, where to go get a bunch of seeds now that we've got our pots set, we've got our drainage, we've got our uh, our soil and our our coconut husks and uh, <laughs> everything ready to go. What, what? Tell me about the Great American Seed Up. So the Great American Seed Up is a project that Kari, Bill, McDormand, Bell Star, and I started about, uh, oh gosh, almost 10 years ago now. And what we do is we rent the, uh, the community room at North Phoenix Baptist Church, which is about 8,000 square feet. And we put almost 100 varieties of open pollinated seeds in buckets. And then it's, a, it's like a seed bazaar. People come in and they can scoop their own seeds for really dirt cheap. <laughs> when you get seeds from the packet, you might get, you know, 20, 50 seeds in it. You're, you're, when you're getting a scoop of seeds, you're getting hundreds. Yeah, you are. And a lot of those scoops are less than a dollar for the entire scoop. And some of them a little bit more. And you can get as much or as little as you want. And it's all on our system. You just write down how many scoops you got and you come and you pay us. And then you have lots of seed to take home to save, to share, to plant, give away for Christmas presents, whatever you want to do with it. If you want to see the seeds that we have available, we do have a seed list mm -hmm. on our website at greatamericanseedup.org. So you can go see exactly what we will what be offering. Yeah. When's the date? <laughs> <laughs> November 4th and 5th. Uh, November 4th is a Friday. So we're open Friday evening um, from like 4 until 7-ish. And then we're open Saturday midday uh, to come in. And uh, tickets are $7.50. You can get them at greatamericanseedup.org. That gets you in and gets you education. So along with this comes, of course, classes that we give. And these, uh, this year, the classes are online. Wonderful. We'll make sure and add that event to our community calendar on our website. And even if it's not something you plan on doing this year, seeds will last forever. You can put them under yep. uh, the bathroom sink in a container. There you go. And the reason that we started this program 10 years ago was to, to super energize the local seed economy. I looked around back then, and the only place we could get seeds were at the big box stores and a few local nurseries. And that's a problem. Because without local seeds, you can't have local food. And the solution is the Great American Seed Up, November 4th and 5th. Farmer Greg, thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us, as always. That's urbanfarm.org and the Microform Project for Carrie's website. Thank you both.